All right, everybody, welcome back. This is Didactic Mind, episode 80, The Mind Flayer. Well, this is uh, kind of a momentous occasion. The podcast is uh, officially octogenarian. This is the 80th episode. Uh, it probably would have been the 84th if, obviously, I'd kept up with uh, all of the various uh, requirements of, of these podcasts and produced episodes on a full weekly basis. But, uh, you know, life has a habit of getting in the way. And, uh, frankly, I'm actually kind of lucky I can even make this podcast. I was debating whether or not I should do one today because I'm just so bloody busy. Um, but I think it's important just to get some of this stuff out there and uh, help people listen to it and uh, give people an alternative to the nonsense that they get from uh, the mainstream media. Uh, as always, you know, a very warm welcome indeed to those of you who do listen in, to all of my longtime readers from the website, from all of my longtime subscribers on Podbean. If you have not already subscribed to Podbean, please make sure you do so so that you never ever miss a new upload uh, or a new podcast or uh, make sure you subscribe as well to the Didactic Mind mailing list so you never ever miss a new post. Um, I've been just swamped uh, this past few weeks, so my posting schedule has been uh, quite a lot slower than usual. Uh, that can't be helped. Um, work just gets in the way and there's plenty of it to go around, like I said. I wasn't even sure I would do this podcast, but here I am. Um, in terms of uh, what I talk about, well, as you know, I'm not exactly shy about tackling controversial issues, but uh, you can only really do this. You can only really get away with this sort of thing if you have some kind of anonymity to work behind. If you have something to lose, you need to protect yourself online. A VPN is not a bad way to do that. It's not perfect. I mean, there are flaws in using a VPN, but there are ways to protect your anonymity and your browsing online. And for me, at least, uh, I use a VPN service. Uh, I try to make sure it's always connected for all of my devices. And that way, um, it's more difficult for people to get a hold of me, more difficult for people to track me. So if you do not already have a VPN, well, I recommend Surfshark, uh, as do many fellow travelers along this road. And the reason for that is because they are simply the best value VPN out there. Now, they do have some flaws. I'm not going to lie about that. They definitely have some flaws relative to something like NordVPN, uh, which I've tried and I like it a lot. But Surfshark, in my opinion, offers the best value you can get for the money. I mean, there's just nobody who does it better. For $2.49 a month, uh, with the massive, massive 81% discount they have running right now, you will get a two-year subscription to you know, the most cost-effective VPN out there. You can browse in almost complete anonymity. You can mask your IP address. You can bounce around to different servers. And crucially, unlike NordVPN, Surfshark operates within Russia. So if you want to use servers located within Russia, you can do that. And uh, I just discovered that uh, fairly recently. Um, but you can, in fact, use a number of servers and services which are not available to other VPN providers. And this is very good because uh, increasingly it's becoming very clear the Russians are a lot more sensible about most things than Americans or Brits. And uh, despite their data protection laws, it's still you're still a lot better off living in Russia than you are in, uh, well, most other countries these days. I'm not saying Russia's perfect because it's not. There's a lot of problems with the country. But uh, it's definitely worth visiting. And it looks like they're going to be reopening their borders very soon, actually, uh, for the Euro football, sports ball, something or other tournament, whatever. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care about sports ball, so what do I know? Uh, but at any rate, if you're using a, uh, if you're looking for a good VPN connection, check out Surfshark. There's a link in the description box, both on Podbean and on my site. And uh, sign up today if you have not done so already. Like I said, 81% off, $2.49 a month, uh, whatever that is in pounds, two pounds, 19, 29, whatever it is. Um, and in euros, it's something similar. I, I mean, I have a hard time doing the conversion rates in my head, but 
that's about what it costs and you'll be fine um, you'll be you'll have access to exactly what you need and it will keep you uh, reasonably anonymous and uh, quite safe online you'll be able to block out all the malware and other crap that uh, that uh, infects various websites uh, on to the topic of today's podcast and uh, it will probably be a bit shorter than than usual because I did go on quite at length um, last week for like an hour and 20 minutes so this one will be a maybe 45 minutes in length we'll see how it goes um, knowing me I might just be so loquacious that I loquace like no one's ever loquaced before and uh, go the full hour but who knows um, today I wanted to talk about the the, the the panic and fear that has hit everyone. Um, if you watch Stranger Things, bloody hell, Stranger Things on Netflix, and you watched uh, what was it season two? Which one was the one with the mind flare? I'm pretty sure it was season two. That was the the giant insect thing creature, whatever it was, that walked around on four legs and disappeared into this big mist and. Um, Infected, what's his name? Will's brain or something. Um, I've, I've talked about the connection between Christianity and Stranger Things before. And it's not my idea. It's not. It's really not my original concept. This comes from Dr. Michael Heiser. And, um, he talks about it at some length in a few YouTube videos, which are, I think, well worth watching. If you are not familiar with Dr. Michael Heiser's work, um, a reader of mine uh, over in the States, a good friend of mine actually, turned me on to his, uh, his, his unpacking of the Bible. This guy is a very, very serious scholar. I mean, he, he is a Hebraist. Uh, he is an Old Testament scholar. He's a Christian, but he's an Old Testament scholar who um, understands and looks at Old Testament writings in Hebrew and really digs very, very, very deeply into the original Hebrew language. This is the guy who helps you to understand the book of Job or the book of Genesis from the original Hebrew in ways that you haven't really thought of before. This is the guy who, if you look at Genesis chapter, uh, was it chapter four, I think, where the curses are pronounced upon yeah, it's uh, Genesis chapter 4, where uh, the, the, the fall, basically, where the curses are pronounced upon Adam and Eve. This is where he will help you to understand Genesis, I think it is 4.16, I think. If I get it wrong, you know, forgive me, but it's useful to understand. It, it, look at the verses themselves, you'll, you'll figure it out in a hurry. Um, he helps you to understand the seemingly rather cryptic puzzle of what God says to Eve, you know, your desire shall be towards your husband, uh, but he shall rule over you. That doesn't make sense in English, not really. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense until you actually look at it in Hebrew, and then you understand that it's not... Um, it's it's actually a very adversarial relationship. This is the origin of the battle of the sexes. It's right there in Genesis chapter 4. Right there. And what you see in it makes perfect sense after someone like Dr. Mike Heiser unpacks it for you. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the power and the value of listening to someone like Mike Heiser is very useful in in that he really unpacks a lot of these ideas and issues for you in a way that's very easy to understand, very interesting. Uh, th this concept, for instance, of being created in God's image. Dr. Heiser looks at it not in terms of literally an image, as in, you know, God has hands and feet and legs and eyes and, and, and mouth. and so, It's not like that. And the Bible actually is kind of vague on... The subject of image. Um, Dr. Heiser argues instead we are not a replica of God but in terms of an image we are a functional, uh, we are functionally similar to him. So it's not image in terms of appearance, it's image in terms of function. 
which is very, very interesting. It's a very different take on the idea. Uh, this is a profound uh, alteration of most people's understanding of Scripture, which operates on the assumption that God is, um, you know, is is exactly the same as us. It's, no, he's not. He's, he's obviously quite different. Um, Dr. Heiser is the one who helps you understand, um, you know, this concept of the plural used in the book of Genesis uh, to, to help you realize the character of God. When he says, uh, you know, the, the, when he looks at the word Elohim in Hebrew, in, in, uh, in literally Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, what was it? Um, uh, uh, bara Bereshit Elohim something. Uh, if, uh, if anybody speaks Hebrew is listening to this, I'm sure you're falling over laughing at my pronunciation and the fact that I completely butchered that phrase. I find, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Um, but this is the guy who helps you to understand what Elohim means. It's not um, it's, it's not singular. It's not a single, singular person. It, it's the, the kind, the, the level of depth that he goes into is so significant that he basically starts looking at it in terms of this is the Hebrew, uh, plural pronoun for spirit or, you know, angel or angelic being or something like that. Uh, this, what this means, therefore, is that God is a compound person. So it's like multiple minds in one. It's multiple entities in one. Which logically means that the Trinity is a direct extension of Genesis 1-1. Which means that those who argue for a Unitarian monotheism or Unitarian Christianity are wrong. God is, in fact, multiple persons in one entity, which makes perfect sense when you read the rest of the Bible. This is the same guy, Michael Heiser, who looks at um, the devil or uh, Satan in the book of Job. And he's the one who says, he, he's, as he points out, the, the, the Hebrew word used in the book of Job is not Satan as in you know, a name. It's not, it's not Lucifer as in that guy Lucifer. It's, he's not referring to, the way he's referred to is not in the sense of, um, this guy or this person or, it's not a proper noun. He's not, uh, Satan as referred to in the book of Job is not, you know, the way you would say Mike came over and sat down with us or, or Bob came over and spoke to us or, um, Jill went to Jack's house or something like that. It's not like that. The word used is Ha Satan. Ha Satan. The Satan. The adversary. So it's like a job title. And there's a lot more that he talks about. Um, the whole concept of the, you know, um, animals having souls. You know, uh, Nefesh and Neshama. There's a, there's, he just unpacks all this stuff in uh, Genesis, which is really worth listening to. This is the same guy who looks at evil in uh, the Bible, as depicted you know, throughout the Bible from end to end. And he compares it with the nature of evil in Stranger Things. And as he points out, evil has a hive mind. And I've talked about this before. If you go back several, I don't know how many podcasts, if you go back a long ways, You'll find a podcast of mine in which I talk about this exact issue, about this exact point of evil being uh, hive-minded. So how is that relevant to us today? How, how, how do we deal with this hive, hive mindset, hive mentality? How, how are we to handle the fact that evil acts in... Um, a hive manner, a hive manner, as it were. How does that, how does that work? Well, 
here's a very concrete example of how that hive mind works. In the UK, uh, on May, I think it was 17th, thereabouts, um, the next major phase of the unlocking uh, took place. What that meant was that people could um, congregate in, you know, in groups of 30 or thereabouts outside. They could eat indoors. Um, they could, you know, the, the rule of six or whatever nonsense it was uh, could be scrapped. And people could once again kind of resume their daily lives. Now, here's the interesting part. The moment that happened, literally, I mean, the day before that took place, what did the authorities start to say? Oh no, we can't loosen up the freedoms, we can't loosen up the restrictions, we can't give people back their freedoms. Why? Because there's a new variant of the Kung Flu that's spreading around and it's more transmissible and it's all, it's from India and it's more dangerous and we don't know what's to do and we should keep everyone locked down forever. Have you noticed this is exactly what happens every single time people get their freedoms back? It's happening in the states right now. 28 states have dropped or never had in the first place any kind of mask mandate. I think it's 29 actually. 11 states never had them in the first place. 29 states, more than half the country in terms of number of states, has said we will no longer enforce mask mandates if they ever did in the first place. Now that is a powerful sentiment of up yours to the busybodies and little tyrants who are trying to control people in the states. But in the UK and in the US as well, every time a new measure to uh, remove restrictions is announced, the authorities start going crazy and say, no, 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 you can't have freedom anymore. The fake president in the United States said very recently, those who have had vaccines can take their masks, masks off wherever they go. Those who haven't had vaccines um, need to get a vaccination. Well, that's just idiotic. In the first place, uh, who gets a vaccine and who doesn't is not your bloody business, fake president. And in the second place, these vaccines are untested and not particularly safe. If you look at um, Carl Denninger's analysis of the vaccines, um, these things are uh, by far the most dangerous vaccines we've ever had in terms of number of deaths. They already have surpassed the, um, I think it is the, 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 the total number of deaths from flu vaccines. And we've had flu vaccines for well over 30 years. So we cannot confidently say that these are safe vaccines. We cannot confidently say that they're particularly effective. I mean, we keep getting, being told they're highly effective. Well, okay, fine. And yet we still keep seeing reports of people who have been fully vaccinated getting the Kung Flu, testing positive, and having symptoms. So the vaccines don't plainly don't stop you from getting the infection. They just apparently reduce the severity of the infection. And we have no clue what the long-term effects are. We just don't know. No long-term studies have been done because the, the technology is too new. We simply don't know what could happen. So whenever these people come along, and you never really can quite tell who they are. There's always these, you know, fairly shadowy figures operating within the government. There's maybe one or two people that you can readily identify. I mean, there's Professor Lockdown in the UK. His name is uh, Neil Ferguson, not Niall Ferguson. That's a different man. Niall Ferguson is uh, quite an eminent, actually, Scottish historian. Um, he's married now to uh, Ion Hirsi Ali, I think her name is. Um, the Somalian, what's her name, who, refugee who went to Europe and became an atheist and wrote a quite a good, actually, polemical tract against um, Islam. Um, but Neil Ferguson, he's known as the bonking boffin in the UK, and <laughs> rightly so, because uh, he was the guy who came up with this ridiculous model saying that 500,000 people in the UK would die without restrictions, without lockdowns. And two million people in the U.S. would die without lockdowns. 
Um, and he was like wildly, ludicrously off on both counts. Um, and he was the one who said that uh, everything needs to be locked down immediately, everything needs to be shut down at once. And then he ran off and had an affair with a married uh, animal rights activist who's um, you know, some sort of SJW and not honestly not particularly attractive herself. Um, and his excuse for his conduct was something along the lines of, oh, I thought I was, I was immune or I thought I was protected. I'm sorry, what? Um, and this guy is still taken seriously for some reason by large parts of the media, uh, which tells you everything you need to know. Now, how does all of this tie back to uh, hive, the, the, the presence of a hive mind of evil? Well, it's exactly what I just said. Look at what happens. Every time some shadowy establishment figure, some scientist, quote-unquote scientist, comes out with a new and dreadful estimate of how many people might contract a new and unknown disease, the media rushes to take him seriously. They never stop to ask whether the estimates are accurate. They never stop to think through the, the implications of what someone's saying. They just sensationalize the headline. They don't do their homework because most of them, frankly, are too stupid to do their homework. This is what journalists are like. They're not particularly intelligent people. They're not particularly diligent. They don't know or understand the topic at hand. That's why they went into journalism in the first place. It's not because they're fearless seekers of the truth, at least not anymore, if indeed it ever was. It's really because these people are uh, hacks. They're dilettantes. They, they don't have any business telling the rest of us what to do, but they get off on power trips. There might have been a time when journalists were people of integrity and decency. Um, and, you know, I mean, I suppose I should say in fairness, you know, so not all journalists are like that. Uh, but increasingly, I'm having a very hard time doing that. Um, so I'm, I'm generally pretty content just to say, uh, pretty much 99.9% of journalists are, uh, you know, contemptible cowards and hacks and really have no business um, writing for any publication. Um, the 90 plus percent of them are of the left. And because they are of the left, they all think the same way. And that, again, comes back to the reality of that hive mind. The reason why they have a hive mind is very simple. In a hive mind system, those who obey the central dictates experience rewards. They, they, they get good things. If you look at um, an ant colony, and again, I'm not an entomologist and not an entomologist, entomologist, yeah, and, and, entom or entom, I forget. Entomologist, I think, is the correct uh, way of putting it. But if you look at an insect colony, that's a fairly standard example of a hive mind. Um, you're not expected to exceed the parameters of your mission. You are, you, you get a particular task and you must do it. If you do better, you get a very clear reward. If you achieve the goals, the objectives of the colony, you will be rewarded. If you step out of line of what the colony needs, you will be executed. And that is exactly the same system that you see at work in the left. That's exactly what happens. Indeed, the terms left and right don't really make a whole lot of sense in this context. The entire reason why we have the term left and right is really thanks to the French Revolution. It's yet another horrible, stupid thing we have to blame the French for. Um, the concept of left and right really came down to which sides of the, the aisle of uh, whatever body of government it was, I think, um, during the French Revolution that you sat on. If you were of the left, then you were of a particular political view. If you were of the right, then you were of another political view. Uh, it, was n it was not like that up until the French Revolution. If, uh, in, the, in England, for instance, you were either a Tory or a Whig, um, or you were eventually a potentially a liberal. Um, but the Tories were always the, the party of power. They were not considered of the right, they were just considered the establishment. They were considered the norm. Um, the opposition 
was called the opposition. It was not left versus right. Today, things have changed significantly to the point where we have a clear left and we don't really have a clear right. The left operates on a very clear structure of uh, monolithic hierarchical power. But that, that structure has factions within it. There's no question of that. There, if you look at the modern day left, it's basically crazy people um, trying to drive out not crazy people. It's, it's essentially uh, Marxist lunatics trying to outmaneuver non-Marxist lunatics. Uh, that's really all it comes down to. It's just crazy and crazier, at least from an outsider's point of view. But if you look at it in terms of a hive mind, if you stop thinking about it in terms of just people doing these things in an, in a, in an individualistic, undirected sense, and you start thinking about it in a Christian sense, and you start thinking about it in terms of there being a clear, defined, guiding intelligence behind it all, a very, very obvious, malicious intent, then the power structures of the left begin to make perfect sense. You begin to understand why it operates the way it does. You begin to realize why the left rewards people for so long for doing certain things, and then when it when those people lose their utility or usefulness, they suddenly are destroyed. Look at what happened with Jeffrey Epstein, who, of course, didn't kill himself. Look at what happened with that guy. Nobody seems to know how he made his billions. No one seems to have any clue what this guy was about. No one has any idea where his money came from. I sure as hell don't. Um, none of the reports that I've seen about him show any indication as to where his money came from. It had to come from somewhere. It didn't just, you know, land on a, fall off a, a private jet onto a rainbow and into a sea of gold. That didn't happen. That money had to come from somewhere. And yet no one can seem really figure, can really seem to figure out where it came from. Um, you know, if you do uh, a search on Jeffrey Epstein, well, where did, where did his money come from? No one quite seems to know. Um, supposedly he taught, you know, calculus and physics at some school in Manhattan. And uh, he started to work as, okay, so he started to work as an options trader. Um, and then he became a partner at Bear Stearns, and then he started up his own financial management company, and eventually, you know, he got to manage lots of other people's money. Well, okay, fine. But I, I mean, I worked in that world for a long time, around it, you know, not in that world, thank God. Um, I wasn't that close to the, the, the true sources of corruption, but I was pretty damn close. Um, most of the people that I know who are a hell of a lot smarter than Epstein, a hell of a lot less creepy than Epstein, a hell of a lot more personable than Epstein, didn't get where Epstein got. So what's going on? Now look at what's happening with Bill Gates. What is, what's up with that? The man makes $130 billion, billion dollars. I mean, he's like, you know, if it weren't for the fact that he actually has hair, he would he would be the perfect candidate for Dr. Evil. It, literally, you could not get more perfect than him in terms of looking and acting like Dr. Evil. But what's happened to him all of a sudden? Suddenly, he's... Revelations are coming to light of unsavory dealings. His... his, his man-jawed, mannish, very much mannish-looking ex-wife, Mel, in the gates, um, wants to divorce him or is in the process of divorcing him. Why Why now? Why, why all of a sudden? Why, just when he seemed to be at the apex of his success in terms of telling the entire world to get vaccinated, in terms of lecturing us all on the evils of, of our lifestyles when he's got private jets and huge estates and, and, and more money than mammon, 
to spread around. Why, just at the apex of his success, are all of these things suddenly coming to light to destroy his reputation? Why? What's going on? The answer to that lies in what Dr. Heiser talks about, about this hive-minded creature that lies behind so much of the evil that we see in this world. It's not coincidental. This is the reality that we see. This is happening for a reason. And the reason it's happening is to keep us all afraid. The, the, the mind flayer in Stranger Things takes control of people's minds and keeps them terrified. It, 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 it destroys their ability to think rationally. It stops them from being uh, capable of independent thought and action. It turns them against their friends. It, it, as you see in the third season, which is really gory and disgusting, um, it eventually creates a, an amalgamation of drones who all think exactly the same way. And if any of those drones step out of line, they are punished, they are destroyed, right? So what then are we to do about this? What are we to do with the scientists, quote-unquote scientists, who aren't real scientists at all? If they were, they wouldn't be saying such stupid things on live television. They would actually uh, essentially be professional about it, and they would say, we're not really sure, we don't know. We have a confidence interval in which we think this could happen, but we're not going to make wild speculative assumptions. If they were real scientists, that's what they would say, but they don't, so they're not real scientists. They don't respect the principles of Scientology. Uh, slight, slight, you know, um, uh, diversion here, which may not turn out to be so slight, who knows, but there are, uh, science is not one monolithic construct or structure. Science is actually three separate things. The, the concept of science, as we understand it, uh, is made up of scientage, the body of transparently testable scientific knowledge, scientology, the scientific method of adding to that body of knowledge through inference, observation, testing, and hypothesis refutation, and scientistry, the profession of science, what scientists do. This is not my invention. I do not claim any credit whatsoever for saying this. This comes from our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, Peace be unto him, Vox Dei, the most malevolent and terrible. Um, he's the one who came up with this uh, formulation, and I think he's absolutely right. Uh, to this, we must add a fourth branch, which has emerged over the last few years, called scientism, the dogma, the religion of science. Unlike most religions, unlike particularly Christianity, which actually has a rational basis behind it, Scientism doesn't have anything rational behind it. It's nonsense. It's dogma. It's fear-mongering. It's blind faith in very, very human people. It's not blind faith in a creator, a benevolent creator, who has proven repeatedly that he exists and acts through us and does things in the material world. It's blind faith in people who don't deserve it. It's blind faith in flawed and fallible people who keep letting you down because they don't know what the hell they're doing. They just think they do. They're, they're incredibly hubristic. What are we to do when confronted with these people who plainly don't know what they don't know? How do you take steps to protect yourself from this mind virus of fear that stops you from moving ahead, that's, that's very clearly infected huge portions of the population. I mean, I'll give you examples from, from my own life. You know, how do I deal with this when I see people around me who are all in masks and who refuse to, to, to take them off and who just obey like mindless sheep? I do what they won't do. I take off my mask. I refuse to put it on unless somebody in authority comes along and says, you have to put that on or else get out. If I have to be there, I'll say, okay, fine, I'll put it on. But then, you know, I keep my nose and my mouth uncovered pretty much. So it's like, I'm not even, why am I going to bother wearing a mask? I just got it sort of on my face. Um, in buildings, I will just literally walk in without a mask. And nowadays where I live, um, it's not that hard to get away with it because 
more and more people are beginning to see for themselves that this is nonsense, that this is bullshit. They're beginning to wake up. The mind virus isn't working anymore. Why? Why is it failing? Why isn't it working? Well, that comes back to something that I think I've talked about before. I've done so many damn podcasts, I can't even remember now. But it's something along the lines of why evil constantly fails. The reason it constantly fails is precisely because if you look at the way that that hive mind of evil operates and works, the hive mind cannot possibly conceive of any situation it has not already anticipated. It thinks itself to be superior to everything else. It thinks that it is completely in control. But it never is. You see, go back again to what Dr. Heiser talks about in the book of Job. Go back to the book of Job itself. Go back to where Ha-Satan, the adversary, comes along and says to God, you know, basically something along the lines of, if Job was not so blessed, then you wouldn't, then he would turn around and curse you. If you took away everything he had, he would turn around and curse you. Watch what happens. The reason you see Job as being so grateful to you and so, uh, so, so willing to praise your name and so, um, so laudatory of the Lord, you know, your highness, your, your, your worshipfulness, uh, is because you've given him so much. Take it all away from him and watch what happens. He'll turn on you. He'll, he'll uh, spit on your name. I'm loosely paraphrasing here, obviously. But that's what would happen. That's what Ha Satan says. That's what the adversary says. And notice what the book of Job says. Notice that uh, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Yeah, okay. I mean, he, he got kicked out because he was too proud and he uh, rebelled against God's lawful authority and uh, he, he lost his job because of it. Okay, fine. So, um, in that case, what is, what on earth, or what in heaven's name, I should say, is Ha Satan doing in the Council of Angels? Why is he there? Because all of his powers, all of his might, for all of his terrible you know, uh, control over the world. He can only do what God lets him do. His power is circumscribed. It is limited by God, who is limitless, who is who does not have the kinds of limitations that we do, that the angels do, that the adversary does. His the adversary's power is contained. And it's actually already broken. We know that now. How do we know it? Because of Jesus Christ. We know it because Jesus came down into our world. The Son of God, begotten Son, came into our world, entered it, and conquered death and evil itself. The adversary knows his power is limited. So now that there's a clear, very clear, you know, line in the sand saying, at this time, nobody knows exactly when, but at some time in the future, his power will be broken forever. He knows he's running against a clock. So what he's trying to do is to maximize collateral damage. He's not trying to win because he's lost. He knows he's lost. So he's trying to maximize collateral damage. Now, think about this carefully. What happens when you find yourself rushed for time, when you find yourself unable to do everything you need to do in a, in, a, in a particular amount of time, you start making mistakes. You can't cover all possible bases because you're not omnipotent. You're not omniscient. You don't have complete control over time, space, and matter. You don't. So if we don't have it, and Lucifer doesn't have it, and only God has it, well, what do you think is going to happen? Of course, all of those best laid plans are going to start falling apart because no matter how powerful the intelligence is behind evil, no matter how much it can scheme and plot and uh, destroy and corrupt and connive, it can't control 
you. It can't control everyone. So all you have to do is basically refuse to give in to it. All you have to do is refuse to give in to the fear porn. All you have to do is just say, no, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to take your stupid advice. When it comes to masks, take off your mask. If somebody tells you to put it back on, either tell them to F off or, you know, subtly, um, basically disobey his, his rule. Wear it to the point where it's basically ineffective because it is ineffective. What most people don't realize is these masks don't work. And that's not me talking out my ass. The CDC issued a, uh, a study back in, I think, January where it tried to pump up the headline and say masks are highly effective. And it's, it's, it's all bullshit. If you actually read through into the details and you look at the, the data in the tables themselves rather than the abstract, don't bother with the abstract, but look at the actual data, you'll see that in the data table, there is statistical significance in terms of reducing um, deaths and hospitalizations if everyone wears a mask. Yeah, that's true. It comes to two percentage points at most. Two percentage points. That's it. If you told me that by wearing a mask, I could cut down my risk of, of, of infection and death from, you know, 1% to 0.2%, you know, 80% reduction, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, it makes sense. That's, that's reasonable. That's, that's, a, that's a good trade-off. If you told me that I could reduce my overall risk of death even from 1% to 0.8%, a 20% reduction, I'd be like, yeah, okay, all right, fine. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty reasonable. But you're telling me that by wearing a mask at all times, I'm reducing my personal risk of infection and death from 1% to 0.98%. I'm sorry, what? And you're telling me that I have to suffer through all the inconvenience and stupidity of this thing? Not going to happen. Before that, there was a Danish paper, an actual double-blind randomized controlled trial, which everybody's been screaming for, clamoring for, for months, and they finally got around to doing it. That, tr that paper was rejected by uh, a couple of journals. And finally, when it was published, the, the authors had to change the language around a bit in the abstract so that they, so they seemed to support the idea of mask mandates and, and lockdowns and such. But if you actually read the paper, what it says is that masks don't work. They're not effective. There's no statistical evidence that says they are effective at preventing the transmission of the disease. There is uh, a recent MIT study released, which, uh, which tells us that unless you're wearing one of those N95 respirator masks with an actual uh, air vent on the side, you know, like a, a filter on the side, all that thing does, all, all, the, all the other masks do, either cloth masks and the paper masks, all they do, all they do is hold the disease or hold the air kind of trapped inside the mask and then it sort of leaks upwards because it's, it's hot air. So it leaks upwards out of the seals or around the sides of the mask, upwards into the air, and then as it cools down through convection, whatever particulate matter is in the air that you're breathing out settles down around you. So it does not stop the virus from moving around. It actually just distributes it, disperses it everywhere else. These masks are stupid ideas. The science actually says as much. When I say the science, I mean the scientotty, actually the scientific evidence says as much. Not the science, you know, scientists, who most of whom deserve a swift kick up the ass for what they've done to us. I'm talking about the actual scientific evidence from repeated studies of the same thing show us that these things don't work. So why are we bothering with them? Well, we're bothering with them because people in authority tell us we should. Look at the motivations behind those people in authority. Look at why they're saying those things they're saying. And just say no. Just resist. The one thing they can't tolerate is people saying no. The one thing they can't deal with is people telling them F off to their faces. It's like, you're, you're trying to kill people. You're trying to, you know, uh, in, in the UK, there's been this, this, this wall-to-wall parade of um, articles just blasting vaccine refuseniks, saying these people, 
don't deserve jobs. And that's a literal, that's a literal truth. That's people in, uh, places like the Daily Telegraph and the Daily Mail and, uh, the Guardian and the Independent, they've all been saying these things. People who are vulnerable and refuse to get vaccines don't deserve jobs. People who, uh, refuse to get the vaccines don't deserve to travel. They don't deserve to be free. Oh, okay. We see what you're trying to do there. We see what you're making us do. All right. Fine. You know what? If you run a business and you have people who um, want to work for you, ask them if, they have a, if they've had the vaccine. If they have, don't hire them. So it's that simple. If they're going to run that game on you, run it right back on them. In um, Japan, apparently, uh, I don't... This is from uh, Vox Day's site, so I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but apparently what's happening is the Japanese authorities are refusing to take or accept blood for transfusions and donations from people who have been vaccinated. Why? Why? Why would that be? Why, why are they refusing to take that blood? Well, hmm, maybe because there's something in it that we don't fully understand yet, and we don't. That's the truth. We don't understand how these vaccines work. So when you have people trying to infect you with fear and doubt and trying to scare you into compliance, just tell them to F off. Just tell them you won't obey. Just walk away from them. And you'll find that this will cause a massive reaction, which maybe you weren't expecting at first. The reason being that that mind virus of fear, that the mind flayer itself, has realized that it can't get to you. It can't, it can't keep you. It can't stop you. And that makes you extremely dangerous to it. And that makes you incredibly valuable to everyone else who needs an example like you to help them conquer their own fear. I can tell you, you know, from people uh, who've seen me just walking around absolutely flatly refusing to wear these stupid face diapers. I can tell you, they're like, I know some of them have, have like gone quietly to the authorities and said, what, this guy's not complying with your rules. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, fine. Whatever, I don't care. But if they're telling you that, you know, on the one hand, if you get vaccinated, you no longer have to wear a mask. And then on the other hand, but even if you're vaccinated, you can't travel and you can't, you know, if you go out of the country and you come back, you still have to self-isolate for 10 days. Okay, what's the point of getting a vaccine? What's the point of wearing a mask? You're not free. So why bother in the first place? Especially in the face of something that you, most of us have a 99.9 something, something, no one knows exactly what the odds are, but it's pretty damn high chance of surviving. If you're under the age of 40, you're probably going to survive. You're almost certainly going to survive. You may have some long-term effects. Yeah, that sucks. It's not going to be fun. But you're probably going to be okay. And most importantly, you shouldn't succumb to fear. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't live your life afraid. That's what the mind flayer wants. That's what this motive power of evil behind all of this wants. It wants you to be passive, afraid, and um, compliant. Because that way, it maximizes its hold over you, and it maximizes its damage to you. Because what is the one most important gift that we have? It is freedom. Not the freedom to do whatever the hell we want. The freedom to go before God, and accept Him into our lives. That's the most important freedom we have. But the moment we shut ourselves off from that freedom, we give up and we give in. And that is what the mind flayer wants. So don't give it that power. Stand up for yourself. Stand up for what you believe in. Refuse to accept that law, that rule, Take the risk. If you don't take risks, you don't deserve your freedom. It's that simple. Okay? I can't tell you how many times I've seen people lecturing everyone else about 
the need to be good citizens and the need to comply with certain rulings and certain dictates. And then when no one's looking, they will do exactly what they said that everyone else is not supposed to do. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen it in my own life. You can't, you would be able to say the same thing to me. You can't, you can't even imagine how many times you've seen the same behavior among supposedly noble and virtuous people. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's how it works. That's how this virtue signaling crap works. That's how the mind flayer works. It rewards hive behavior. But again, remember, the moment these people cease to become useful, that is the moment they will be discarded and destroyed. So don't be one of them. Walk away. And it may mean you'll have to walk away from a lot of your friends and maybe some of your family. Maybe that's a price you'll have to consider paying. It's just something that you'll need to think about. So anyway, uh, this is a, a little bit early for um, one of these podcasts, but I do need to get going. I've got a, a lot to do, including cooking a steak, by the way, um, which I've got sitting on my uh, stovetop over there. But I hope you found this uh, informative and useful. Please make sure to check out Dr. Mike Heiser's videos. Please make sure, if you are new to my site, to check out the Agogi which is a long-running series of articles which I keep adding to over time, which will show you exactly how you can break away from this trap of passivity and ignorance and into a very forward-looking offensive, literally offensive in every sense of the word, uh, new way of life that will push back against this, this crazy, mad clown world that we're all living in, and will help you build yourself into a better man, into a better fighting individual, working for a purpose, working in a brotherhood. That is the point of the Agogi, and that is what I am trying to get everyone who listens to this, everyone who reads my work, to subscribe to. This is a forward-looking, forward-moving way of life. And that's what I want you to get involved with. So make sure you sign up for that. At any rate, this has been Didactic Mind episode 80, and this is Didact, signing off.